What's up, y'all? Heads up that there's some strong language in this episode we've decided to leave uncensored. If that's not for you, you may want to skip this one. I would say that the pivotal moment, to your point, was when you joined at like 9.30 at night after having like back and forth conversations, back and forth conversations. Um, and everyone listened to you. And, you know, I think that changed. I was very surprised the way that, like how, how well that conversation went. I guess for people that don't know we should probably back up and give like do you want to give a timeline of how we got here and timeline of how we got there. uh well i mean you who can... am i why am i here can you please explain yeah this is going to be really interesting when everyone hears this because this is this is i i'm not gonna try to sugarcoat this i am kind of being a little pc about it but i'm not gonna try to sugarcoat this when we go through this right now this is the podcast Um, I guess, well, I think actually everyone knows you're on the Bunger podcast team now, but in yeah, some ways... Yeah, I should probably give, like, a quick intro. Well, yeah, I was just going to say welcome, but yeah, you should definitely give a quick <laughs> intro of who you are. Um, so, I'm Nana. Um, I started dancing in 2014. I've danced for a bunch of teams. Um, most recently, for the last season or two, I've been um, dancing for DDR. I also am their in-house mixer, and most recently, I have joined the Bunker Podcast as a host. Woo! It's really funny because even though we're doing like a intro for you, you just literally like hosted like a live podcast episode like oh like a week ago. Whoever is listening and doesn't know that Nana hosts the podcast, I don't know if I should say shame on you or thank you for tuning in to the Bunker Podcast because you're <laughs> obviously new. So in some ways, like our conversation really mirrors um, this podcast and kind of, you know, how it all started. I guess I got to ask, like, why why are we here in, in your words? So um, back in April, I guess the very end of April, when quarantine was, I think, really just everyone was coming to terms with the fact that this is our life now. Yeah. Um, there was an episode that the pod did way before I was involved. Um that was the mailbag episode. I think it was like what's now infamous number 32. Umar and Sav answered a bunch of mailbag questions. So just like audience solicited questions. And one of the questions, um, I can't remember what exactly it was, but it was basically asking what they thought about how effective RDR was. Um, and they gave an answer that was like a little bit meandering, but I mean, everyone should go back and listen to like that episode if you want to know like, what actually was said there. What basically happened was once that episode got posted and yeah. Umar did his usual thing of being like, hey, like if anyone has feedback, let us know. Um, myself and I think quite a few other people who were involved with RDR and or affected by RDR. And just generally, I think a lot of women on the circuit for whom RDR felt like this big moment were just kind of annoyed that these two men who had literally nothing to do with RDR <laughs> started talking about what the goals were and how the goals like were or were not met they actually missed what the goals were to a certain extent and that was of course highlighted by the fact that the RDR board had come on the podcast previously and said what the goals were yeah so it just like wasn't a good look and I think a lot of people felt like it was this moment where everyone who went there and was part of it felt like it was this really great moment for a lot of us. It wasn't 
it didn't fix everything, obviously, but right. it, it was this really big moment, and it kind of felt like people on the outside either were, like, glossing over it or, like, missed the point entirely. Um, so it kind of was a moment where it was like, oh, we feel like we got two steps forward and one step backwards, or maybe even more than that. Yeah, I mean, it's... I remember, like, logging in, and uh, everyone was like, yo, go check Facebook. It's like... Oh, right. So that is actually... Yeah, that's that's what I did. What I did was... <laughs> um, <laughs> what I did was when Umar posted saying, hey, does anyone have any feedback? I kind of ripped him. Not, like, in what I think was a super rude way. I just was just upfront about the fact that in answering the question themselves and soliciting, like, no input from... Um, no input or uh, feedback or information from the people like directly involved. I just called them out for that. And I also said, I believe, here's a list of people you could have asked and just just named any female ever and said, just ask <laughs> anyone who's not a dude. <laughs> right. I think I had like topically listened to the podcast, the mailbag episode. And like at that point, we didn't have so much, I would say it's so much of a rig- rigorous review process. And I think generally speaking, there was more positive things to be said about RDR. But I think what we all missed the boat on was the perception and then also the misrepresentation of the goals, which we had actually documented and was on like, I don't know, like 14 episodes prior. (laughs) It was right there. So yeah. And then so you you reached out to Omer. And like when you reached out, did you did you actually expect to get a response? Like, what, what did, what, where, where was that inspiration for actually reaching out to us at that time? I think a lot of people don't realize that after the whole conversation in the comments on BTF, there was like a separate sort of offline conversation that happened in like a smaller group of dancers where I just saw Umar and Saab and you and Sid like asking a lot of questions. There definitely was still tension, but you were asking a lot of questions, which made me think like, okay, these guys just don't know. It's not that they don't want to listen right. or they don't want to learn. Right. All of this came from a place of ignorance, just in the sense of purely not knowing. So I felt like if I reached out, it was pretty likely that these conversations could continue to happen right. and that uh, you guys would be open to at least listening and learning. Yep. And also I just felt like, to be fair to the RDR board and everyone who was involved in that comp it was worth taking like a second stab at doing this conversation about how rdr went and like actually doing it fairly yeah that's kind of where like my understanding of how i got here ends and then there's like this gap that you're probably more equipped to fill in so do you want to maybe share a little bit about why i'm actually like here here on the podcast yeah and, and that's a, that's a that's a really good story i think it's a very long um, it's a very long conversation, right? And I think the more we talk about it, the more this evolves. And, you know, I think when we got the question and we talked about this, I think a lot of us really were, you know, like pretty, um, like, pretty like, oh, like this will be fine to talk about. And then it blew up. And, I, and I'll be honest, like a lot of people were super, super passionate about the response. I think Umar and Saab felt that um, they had said a lot of positive things. And that was not being weighed up against the response that I think a lot of people perceived. After seeing the responses and listening to the piece again, I agreed with the sentiment and I understand immediately where anybody was coming from here. 
I will say uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of immediate pushback to do this, um, to have this conversation in particular. Why do we want to talk about RDR again? On top of that, you and I had been talking also a couple times. And so that put me in this really weird position where I was communicating feedback to you. And then I was taking the feedback that you had and communicating it to them. It's also, as a guy, it's just one, I don't have the experience that can lend weight to and credence to the words that I'm going to say. Um, and I can't articulate some of the issues that you're talking about. Like I can spend time and I can empathize and I can understand, but since I haven't lived it, it's almost as if someone told me a story and I'm trying to regurgitate the story, haven't listened to it once, right? And so there was definitely a lot of frustration. I, I think there was there was definitely a couple of times where it didn't seem like this was going to get recorded or this conversation was going to happen. So then I think it was a Tuesday night and we were just talking about this and you and I had just talked and we were talking and recapping the conversation. And I was like, you know what, Nana, I think is still up. You guys just like all want to talk. And to their credit, up until this point, it was really frustrating for the guys because I was like, I think Nana has a very good case if we pivot away from RDR and talk about what RDR is trying to address versus the competition itself. So we were moving into a much different conversation. And I was like, this is just something that I am not going to be able to just manage moving forward between these two groups. So let's just throw Nana, like Nana, let's like come on board. And with all this shit that's happening before and the fact that like, you know, I was frustrated that it might not happen. I, I was really surprised where everyone was like, yeah, let's let's just do it. And then we all got on and we all talked for multiple hours. And we just... Yeah, I was really surprised how well that conversation went. Not because I thought anyone was going to be, you know, rude or anything like that. But we had just had four days or so of me communicating repeatedly what I did not like about the work that these guys had done. And them communicating that they were frustrated, that they didn't fully understand what they necessarily had to, you know, fix to have done a better job. And that conversation just went so well. It was really hard, but it went really well. And it, for me, was this turning point where, like you're saying, like, these are not conversations that, like, you guys have been having because right. they're just not your experiences all the time. Whereas... These are conversations that I have a lot more frequently, but I also have them with other people who also have had these experiences. Right. So this was the first time in a very long time, if not ever, where I had to talk about this with people who wanted to learn and had literally no understanding of so many things that are just so central to my experiences. And it, it was a real exercise in explaining things patiently and trusting that when someone doesn't uh, agree with you or understand there is an opportunity and a willingness for them to learn in the same way that like they're being willing to listen and learn I had to be willing to explain which I also understand like not everyone can do it's taken literally hours like in <laughs> before recording this conversation which is technically the first conversation that is about to be in this podcast with me yep we have probably put in 30 hours of conversations um, about all of this stuff. I feel like that's actually even a conservative estimate. It's just a lot of work. And I totally understand that not everyone wants to do that or has time to do that or the emotional bandwidth to do that. But I think seeing that it was starting to yield results and we were starting to have not just good conversations, but build like good relationships. Yep. I felt like I saw the good coming out of me investing this time and all of our perspectives have changed on all of this. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Like, you know, just to be very candid, 
you know, Umar and Saab, I think they were definitely the most hesitant about you joining and you being engaged because of the of how this was received and how it was more of like, I don't think we're going to have a productive conversation. And I, and I understand where they're coming from in the sense that if you thought about the Facebook conversation, you thought about the comments, just because like we're here now. So obviously we've crossed some sort of hurdle to get here. But because, because we're here, I think what everyone really wanted was a conversation and to understand from somebody who said some of those comments why what, what had happened was hurtful and what can we do to learn from it and not be judged for it, not be judged for it in a way where it was like, you suck, and then that was it. It was more of like, this right. was this was not a good look because of this. This is what you could do to be better because these kinds of problems still exist. And to a lot of credit, I think Umar and Saab were the most reluctant to start. And I think they're probably two of the bigger proponents now moving forward. And there's more and more acceptance because what bringing you in did was I think a lot of us became more vulnerable, had better conversations, better dialogues. Um, and it really reshaped the podcast to be a much more professional organization. It's more inclusive. It's more thoughtful. Like I think we're all, we've all become a lot more thoughtful because of this exercise. And like the dynamics have shifted where there has been very, very deep conversations. And like the interesting thing is, you know, when we have spoken to other podcast groups or even spoken to other people, people still are thinking about like, Competition X, competition Y, competition Z, like set, mix, etc. But like we've started talking about, I think, much more relevant conversations, not to who we are as just as dancers, but to who we are as like people doing the dance as well. So that's, yeah. that's been pretty crazy. I, I, understand, I understand how it came off. Or it was like we did something and it was wrong, but we understand that it's wrong, but like how do we fix it? Right. And I think that was where a lot of frustration stemmed from. It was like we're not understanding in any of these comments that we're getting how to fix it. We understand it needs to be fixed, but how? And I think that one of the big things that's shifted that's now percolated into how we approach other problems that we either are producing episodes about or even problems that we just discuss amongst ourselves, it's abandoning the idea that there's always going to be a list of things we can do to fix something. Like we've all just kind of come around to this idea that to move closer towards fixing something, just talking about it is sometimes sufficient. We can't fix everything with like a roadmap or a list of to-dos, but talking about it openly um, and having these same hard conversations is exactly what's moving us closer towards becoming a better podcast and also just becoming, like you said, better people and um, a better team also. So, you know, with all those comments, um... I think we I think we went back to like ground zero, right? I think there was <laughs> there was definitely yeah. so We're like let's just let's just start over. Let's just start this whole talking about RDR thing from scratch cuz it didn't go right the first time um or the second or third time. So <laughs> let's try again. Yeah, so we had um so we had this conversation with Asha and Navneeth and uh, I'm not going to lie, it's um it started pretty tense cuz I could definitely feel that it was you know, like, you guys fucked up kind of situation there. But <laughs> it definitely, um, it definitely helped having you in there because I think it definitely changed the dynamic versus the first time around, which I think was a lot more marketing was a lot more like, you know, come to RDR. And it was also like, this is what we're believing into being a much more intimate conversation. Yeah, I think so. I think whatever everyone's about to hear, um, hopefully helps them to understand more about the competition 
in the context of the larger movement it speaks to, not just as one competition that happened one weekend um, almost a year ago now. Yep. So hopefully this is a good listen for everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bunker Podcast. Um, in part one of this series, we're going to be talking with some of the RDR folks in terms of uh, getting a little bit of a heat check on how things are within the Bunger circuit, um, specifically around the representation of marginalized groups within Bunger. So with us on the call, we have a couple of folks. Um, we have Navneet and Asha. Navneet and Asha, um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, would you mind giving a quick intro, a little shout out about yourself? Uh, hey everyone, this is Navneet. Um, I served as the judging and registration chair for Ronuk, which was held this past summer in August. Um, here just to talk about our competition and our goals. Um, also dance on DCBC, been on the team for almost seven years now, but excited to be here and share our perspective. Hi folks, I'm Asha. I also danced on DCBC um, and was the creative chair for Ronuk. Awesome. Uh, and I guess before we get started, I'd like to introduce the newest member of the Bunga podcast. Nana, you want to give yourself a little bit of a shout out? Yeah, I have danced for a few teams, but I guess most relevant to this episode, I actually danced at Ronuk. So I'm excited to talk to you guys and maybe share some experience as uh, someone who danced there and got to experience what you guys put on. So, you know, just jumping right in. Um, I know we had a, a couple of hours, it seems like, to interview and, and kind of debrief on um, RDR in particular. You know, with everything that's been going on in the world, you know, we've had some conversations around, you know, what are we going to do from a dancing perspective, but also, you know, the culture of the dance and, and more so what have been some of the lasting impacts, both from a dancing perspective and I think also from like a societal and a cultural perspective. Um, you know, RDR is one of those, you know, really curious cases where you see a little bit of both. When we last chatted, I think you gave about four or five different concrete goals that you know, RDR was hoping to achieve. Do one of you guys want to just jump in and, and give us an overview of what those were and, and why they're so important? Yeah, I think. And like we talked about in our prior conversation, Ram, I think the goal of Roanoke was one of the most misinterpreted items. Um, it was actually a lot larger, I think, than a lot of folks realized. On one hand, we wanted folks to step up and do a better job of supporting marginalized dancers. So looking at not only women, but also trans and non-binary folks who are in the circuit, making sure that we have created space for our community to be as diverse as it truly is for folks to be comfortable there. Beyond that, there were ways that we wanted to approach the contributions of marginalized communities that went beyond dance. We focused on having a near zero plastic waste competition, um, and we were actually able to achieve this. And we wanted to set you know, an outline or a blueprint for how competitions could be sustainable moving forward. And part of that was also using the feminist lens that we had taken um, with our approach to the entire competition, right? If women's labor across the world is also part of a green economy and a green environment and looking at how women contribute in all of these ways, how their labor um, is actually vital to helping us come back from a climate crisis. And we also have to think about when we have a women's competition, we have to have sustainability present there as well. 
And then finally, and I think this is something we, we've talked about a lot, but it was a slow burn. This was just having a start to a conversation. We wanted to reach out to folks and say, this was something for communities and teams to start thinking about. Um, Roanoke was not an end-all be-all, but our goal was definitely to start that conversation. Right. And, you know, I think some of the feedback has been, you know, Roanoke's happened once. Is it going to happen again? Does it need to happen again? You know, what do you say to somebody that says, you know, Roanoke has happened, women are dancing on co-ed teams, obviously, but also there are all girls teams. There are also women dancing and all guys teams. What do you say to somebody that says we're, we're diverse now? So women were already dancing before Roanoke. You know, this wasn't the first time women had been on stage. If that's all we were going for, um, that wouldn't have been enough. And I think the reason why is it's not enough to just survive, right? You want to thrive. You want to like take that to the next step. It's, it's almost eerie. You know, I, I hate to take it to like a very real state, but would you say it's similar to something along the lines of, you know, when, um, you know, Barack Obama got elected president of the United States, for example, a lot of people said that racism is dead, right? And we didn't need, uh, to, yeah, right. we didn't need to put the effort in anymore because we elected a, mm-hmm. uh, an African-American mm-hmm. black man as president. Do you feel mm-hmm. that that's something similar? Because I, I could probably lump myself in this category as a guy that says, like, we are good and we are progressive. But just because Roanoke has happened doesn't mean you're going to instantiate this change altogether immediately overnight, right? Right. And I think, I mean, even more than that, I think there's a question of if you have women advocating for women, then we, we've we always done it. We will always continue to do it. The real thing you need is to get other folks to see the value of standing in solidarity with marginalized people. So what you want is to say, okay, do you, somebody else who comes from a more privileged background, see what I am also saying? And exactly like you said, with the Obama example, if Hillary had been president, same thing, right? Like feminism wasn't solved just because one white woman would have been elected president. Right. I think um, one thing that you're talking about in terms of the goals of Ronak that I definitely picked up on as like a dancer going into it and who was there and then coming out of it as well, right? Like Ronak was meant to be disruptive and not in like a militant way, but just like not the normal thing, which was obviously the case considering it's the first comp of its kind, right? But like the normal thing within Bunga does not account for women a lot of times because historically women haven't been incorporated in Bunga. That's been a very like recent thing in the history of the dance to incorporate women and give them space to Asha, like you said, not just exist, but thrive. So RDR was a great opportunity for everyone to kind of think about like, okay, what kind of initiatives do not just you guys as a board, but like also teams who are coming into this competition, what kind of initiatives do they want to take to disrupt this history that we pass on to our dancers, right? Like we all learned this dance, we learned the traditions, which of those things do we want to maybe change the meter on a little bit to be more attentive to the needs of people that are not just the people who've always done Bhangra, who for the most part are Punjabi men. And I think just to go off of that, one other thing is that like when you're thinking about the folks who are saying, oh, look, there was a competition for women by women. Now, you know, representation is solved. Everything is done. The support has been given. A lot of those folks tend to be on the outside, right? They tend to be men dancers who look at the competition and say, oh, great. This space of support was created. Now this work is done. And I think most folks who are involved, most folks who dance, most folks who organize know that that work was just the beginning. Right. And Namneeth in particular, you know, when I think about the effects of RDR, and we chatted last time, you know, you specifically mentioned that you felt 
not like super happy, not super sad, but you felt like nervous. Like you had a little bit of a nervousness when it came to what you thought the outcomes were from an RDR uh, standpoint. Could you go a little bit into detail about that? I thought that was a really interesting take from you. Yeah, um, I think after the competition weekend was over and we were evaluating like how we did and how the comp went and the weekend went, um, I know the board, we, we all definitely felt unsettled. Um, it was hard to really understand, did we accomplish what we set out to do? Um, like Asha mentioned, as she's listing out these goals, like these aren't things that we can just check off the box and say, hey, yes, we did this thing. It's something that's probably more visible over time. And so coming out of that weekend, it was like, well, I don't know. Like, did we, are people talking about this? Will people talk about this? Um, you know, will dancers remember this as a successful competition weekend? Did they feel like the space was inclusive? And then even afterwards, you know, the weeks, months after, like when dancers go back to their teams, like will their male counterparts understand their perspective more? Will they talk about the competition and how to become a more inclusive space more? It was hard to really understand if that was going to happen based on how the competition weekend went. So yeah, um, I think it took us a while to feel like we did something. I think when the Bungana podcast, like most recent episode came out where the question was about, you know, Ronak's success, I think the conversation that happened afterwards, that was really one of the first indicators of like, wow, people are talking about this. So maybe we did, we did a thing. We did a good thing. So just to um, talk about, I know you're talking about how it's kind of hard to gauge these things, but thinking back to the comp weekend itself, um, do you guys want to talk about maybe like one example of something that you felt went really well and maybe something that you did not feel good about how it went? Yeah, um, I think for me, those two come really quickly to mind. Um, thinking about the mixer, I think was a huge highlight. Um, so thinking about, you know, Lipsa Gorbade and Shahana Ganesharajan put in so much work on making sure that the panel at the mixer, which was really just focused on, you know, talking about the experiences of marginalized dancers, um, is talking about, you know, what happens after Bhangra, what happens during your time as a dancer, all of these things. Um, and even Namitha is one of our panelists, I think, looking at especially the response of dancers in the room, having someone else stand up and say, yes, like I actually had that exact same experience and more. And seeing folks like build off of each other's experience, it felt like we don't normally get to be in a room with other people who tell us that our experience is not just unique, but actually part of a subset of experiences. And in that room, you could see that camaraderie build. You could see people feeling that they weren't alone in the way that they felt treated by the circuit or treated by teams or treated by judges, whatever it might be. Um, and just seeing that, like literally from one person talking spread across the room, that felt like, okay, this was something we did right. This went well. Finishing Mixer and then going to team practices, going to tech time, all that stuff, it just set like a really nice tone of... You know, everyone who showed up was like, okay, clearly we are here and we are part of a community just by being here. And I think I, I definitely thought the mixer did a really good job of establishing that for all of us. Yeah. And I think it's kind of stark that when you think about that panel room, the folks who were in it were only the participants in the competition. Because when you get to, oh, it's probably the worst part of the weekend, that's when that room opened up to include folks who are not participants. It was when we opened it up and, and you look at the after party, I thought it was it was the one thing that we did that felt a little bit more like what every competition has. You know, it was not just our participants. It was also their friends, their teams. Um, and by that, I really just mean we opened the room up to also include cis men. And that after party just ended up being your typical after party. And it brought back, I think, all of these problems that were so focused on having, 
you know, we need to be having constructive conversations about. You see a lot of men bring such an aggressive manner into the room. We had men steal alcohol bottles from the hotel and we had to literally go grab them and return them. And just to see that type of toxic environment re-enter this competition that had been so crafted to avoid this masculine toxicity up until that moment, you know, that, that was the last taste I think left in a lot of us as organizers now. And so, yeah, I would say that was kind of, that was our downside. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. I know you guys had sent out um, feedback forms to all of the people who attended the competition, judges, dancers, captains. Um, what did you hear directly from people who were involved? Yeah, um, so I think the forum was a good way to just get a, a wide um, understanding of folks' experiences. Um, some of the positive feedback that we received, I can actually just read a couple of them for you. Um, like very well run, everyone was so accommodating, um, amazing, Mixer was awesome, food was great, great vibes, everything was supportive but competitive, it was lit as fuck. <laughs> um, other things that we heard, like people really enjoyed the brunch that we had on the Sunday after the competition, they felt like it was a nice touch and a good way to wrap up the weekend. Um, tech time was great, the whole Roanoke team was extremely helpful and helped fix things as issues went wrong. Um, especially during performances on stage. Um, in terms of some of the negative feedback or constructive feedback that we got was definitely around judging. Um, so folks just in general felt like there were too many judges. So there, we had six judges and from our end, we were trying to include as many folks and as many perspectives as possible, but that definitely didn't, I think, unfold the way that we wanted to. So a lot of the feedback was around that. Folks, I think, really harped on like the six judges piece and um, felt like some judges didn't provide them the feedback that they wanted and we weren't completely satisfied, um, which is I think something that as a circuit, we're all struggling with. Like how do we yep. make sure that our judging is consistent, fair, and teams feel satisfied once they walk out of that room? Um, so our competition definitely ha had that same issue. Some other feedback that I feel like was surprising and definitely a little bit discouraging, there are definitely folks who responded to the forum that we're obviously just, you know, either upset at the placings or just in general, I don't know, not about what we, we set out to do. Like people definitely cursed at us. So they were like, ass, motherfucking ass. Um, you don't need six judges for a comp, you dumb shits in all caps. You know, they, someone said, you chose teams with no enthusiasm um, in terms of like the, the placing teams. Um, women can dance, but women can't judge. I think that was also a very, I guess, like surprising comment because our whole competition was all about elevating women's roles in the circuit. So as dancers, but as judges, coaches, DJs, um, competition organizers. So that was definitely concerning feedback. A lot of people commented on um, the eggs at our brunch on Sunday. There was probably like 10 people in a row who said that our eggs were too runny. So I think next time we'll try to focus work on that <laughs> we'll let the hotel know <laughs> yeah we'll let them know so it seems like it's a balance of things that you would find at your regular bungalow competition right like tag time went well you know we had actual issues with the judging which you know i think anybody here can attest to you will get into issues with judging from from place to place um when I think about specifically those last couple of judging comments that you said, Navneeth, um, you've judged before in the circuit, correct? Yeah, yeah, I have. What are your thoughts in terms of 
you know, we, we're at a point now where I think from an, from an equity standpoint, you know, there are obviously women and men who are both dancing on stage, both staring the stage. Um, but it, it's it seems pretty incredulous to me that, you know, someone from a dancing perspective um, can't give their perspective, at least from a judging, like, which is, I think, in, in a lot of ways, more of like an opinionated, more of like a seniority. Like you're not a judge because you are anybody, right? You've accomplished something and you have, I think, a perspective and a viewpoint. Um, as someone who's judged and has made the transition from being a very successful dancer to being a judge, how does that make you feel when you hear somebody say something like that? Yeah, um, it's tough. I think as a, as a, like, I'm not an experienced judge at all. I, I think I'm a very new judge. Um, it makes me feel discouraged and even slightly intimidated. Like the next time I judge, knowing that folks do feel this way, uh, maybe not everyone, maybe not majority of folks, but there are people out there who have this opinion that like women can't judge or somehow if you have more women on a panel that it won't be as fair or unbiased or um, to the rubric. Um, so it's definitely, I don't know, concerning, discouraging, but also I feel angry because I think just personally, like I hope to elevate and encourage other women in, in the circuit and I want them to judge because I don't think any woman is not as capable and as, as any other guy in the circuit to judge. Um, it's just a matter of getting those reps out there and understanding how judging works and how, like, what are best practices. And to be honest, like, I feel like it's tough to get that experience if no one, if no comp believes in you or no one wants you on their panel, you know? Um, and so I think, yeah, like every comp messes up and there's probably judges that truly are bad judges. But I think most judges are out here trying to provide fair and satisfying feedback. Thinking back on it now to our judges panel, like I hope that the judges were able to go back into their smaller regional circuits and be judges at Mela's and be judges at other competitions. And hopefully they feel a little bit more confident going in. We had three or two first time judges and they've all judged again. So just pretty exciting, you know? I don't know. It's unsettling, I think, overall as a judge, but I, I hope slowly things will change. I think any woman on the circuit would hear something like that and like their skin crawls a little bit. Our circuit has done a lot of good in the last few years. Like nobody, you said you've been dancing on DCPC for seven years and I'm sure things are better now than there were seven years ago, you know? But um, I think there's a perception that like we've done a lot of work, we're mostly made up of good people. And so there isn't this need for things like RDR to happen because um, we have been doing well and we will continue to do better. But, you know, we don't always know if these people are, but like they are out there. They're our coaches or teammates or our judges sometimes. And they do think things like women can do this and they can't do that, right? Like in this case, they, they, they can dance and we're okay with that, but we draw the line at, you know, them being qualified or intelligent enough to judge. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think to the earlier point, when you become a judge, you didn't just like happen to step into it, right? Like you did something that was memorable, like you were a really good captain, a really good leader, a really good dancer, or a combination of all of those things. And a lot of times women don't have the opportunity to shine in those different roles that help them become an, a good judge. And so I think in thinking about the comp now too, like dancers that maybe hadn't had a chance to lead their teams or maybe DJ and create a full mix, I hope that they were able to gain confidence and like add another thing to their resume so that when they do want to judge someday, this is something that they look back on and say, hey, I did that. 
because um, I think a lot of our male counterparts get those opportunities. And I think I've mentioned this before, but the circuit in general, although no one is trying to be sexist, like it is male dominated and it is like a boys club. And especially when you're on a girls team, it's tough to go in and like hang out with the guys and try to like network with them and try to get what you need as well. So I hope this comp was a good way to like build that network. Almost a year actually now has passed since RDR happened. Um, looking further down the road, what, what are next steps that you guys envision? I think our goal is to see a long-term change to the way competitions are run. And with that goal being that Ronick provided at least some sort of jumping off point or some sort of preliminary, preliminary blueprint. Um, there's no world in which I think any of us would say Ronick was perfect but maybe one day there can be a competition that takes everything that we did and expands on it and does so much better. And then you have these competitions that are more equitable and more inclusive. And then I think there is that long-term thing that Nina, like you mentioned, we're not in the room for these conversations, but our goal is that there are folks having conversations. And I think most importantly, reassessing their understanding of the hierarchies that are present in Pungra. And, and Navneet, I know you mentioned having seen other competitions even build off of the sustainability outline that um, Ronak had produced. You know, and one of the things, even when I'm listening to you guys talk about, you know, a couple of the key components, you know, one of the things that struck me is, you know, when I first started dancing in college, I think half of my team was Gujarati and they all were, very very strictly vegetarian that we went to a competition in california it was called it was warrior bungra and like half the team could not eat like when the majority of the food because it was like butter chicken and a lot a lot of meat-based dishes and i think we as a team adapted right like we um got the right food and i think what gets lost in things like that is like we just assume that these kinds of really um i would say like just shitty situations are going to happen and that it's okay um, I, but I think when we start letting some of those things happen, you also get into situations where you, you might have twerking games in the mixer where you're like, oh, this is like a really funny idea in my head between like the two or three of us. And then you go out there and like, oh, this actually makes people uncomfortable. Can you talk about how different parts of your identity are things that help you out in certain situations and then make you feel um, sidelined or marginalized in others? Yeah. Um... So I think especially when it comes to Barna competitions, um, there's, it's a really nice feeling walking into a comp weekend and knowing I'm Punjabi, like all the music makes sense to me. I feel like I know how to vibe with the music because I'm like, oh, this is a hype lyric. Like, yeah. so, this is, this is dope. Um, and I think it helps a lot just to know and, I, and feel, I feel really proud knowing that this, is, this dance comes from where my parents were born, where my families from, you know, eons and eons have lived. And, I don't know, I feel like a sense of connection because it feels like it's my thing. Um, I feel like this is where I belong. And I think a lot of it has to do with being Punjabi when I walk into a competition. And I realize it's such a, it's a huge privilege because our circuit is very diverse. And I, I feel like now times, sometimes you walk into comp and there's more like non-Punjabis there than there are Punjabis anyway. Uh, but still, like that never, like being Punjabi never makes me feel like, oh man, I don't belong at this comp. Um, so I feel really lucky for that. I think... A part that feels, you know, marginalized or just not as understood um, is definitely being a woman, you know, especially dancing on DCBC and, in, in, you know, these last few years, like being a captain for a little bit. Like sometimes there were comps where like I was the only woman captain in the room, like during a judges meeting or during like a pre-comp meeting with all the captains or something. And 
I don't know, sometimes it's tough asking the right questions or feeling like people took me as a serious competitor, you know? Like, a lot of times it just felt like people had already decided who was there to win and who they were going to try to beat out. And as a woman, it just felt like because I was the only one there that somehow I wasn't as credible or I didn't deserve to be there. Um, even though we did. We got into the comp just like every other team did. Uh, something that I, now that I'm not dancing as much, but something that I think about a lot now is just regionally where I'm from, like geographically, like being from D.C., I realize I have a lot of privilege in understanding a lot of these like progressive viewpoints, feminism, intersectional feminism, like these are concepts that are not new to me. It's something that like my friends talk about and so especially at a place like Ronick, it I didn't feel like I uh, was somehow like left out. It made me feel a part of the conversation, having like being able to understand those topics. So Asha and Navneet, thank you guys so much for coming on here and chatting with us. Um, I think it's been hopefully really informative to everyone listening. I know definitely for Rob and myself, it's been really nice to hear directly from you guys how RDR went, how you guys felt about it coming into the comp and then coming out of the comp and, you know, getting your perspective on what's down the road for us as a circuit. And again, like all of this is underlined by the fact that there were some really tangible ways that I was definitely impressed with what RDR pulled off. Like you guys sold out the show, which is huge. It's huge for any comp, but let alone something where it's the first of its kind, where it's an all women's comp. And you had three placing teams that were all women's teams. And yes, it was a women's comp, but that's not really something that you see every now and then. Um, it was a sustainable comp and you guys really set the bar high for other comps to follow, which it seems like they're definitely latching onto the example that you guys have set. So I definitely want to congratulate you guys on that and just want to see if you guys have any parting thoughts for us. I think just one thing is that we love the circuit like we all love the circuit and we're all invested in it. And I think that's the reason why these conversations matter. Just remembering that like thinking critically about a dance form that we all love is the reason why it's important to have these conversations about Ronak and, and feminism and all of these intersectional lenses is because all of these communities love this space so much. And I think sometimes we often think about criticism and we don't realize it's coming from that place of love but every single person, I think every participant at Ronak, they still find that Bhangra is their home. And I think you only spend the time to try to make that place more comfortable and more welcoming and more inclusive when you're that invested in the place. Yeah. And just to piggy off of that, I think um, if there's like one thing that folks took away from this podcast is um, to assume positive intent whenever you're going into a conversation about Bhangra or judging or how a comp went, I think... All of us, like Asha said, we love the circuit. It's home. Um, no one's out here trying to like ruin it for anyone else. Um, and I think we get that as competition organizers. And I think as dancers, most folks understand that. Um, so just the next time like people do start talking about things that maybe you don't understand or don't agree with, just assume positive intent. Like Try to go into it with a positive outlook and an open mind. And hopefully you can walk away with it with just a few like tactical, tangible things you can do to make the space more inclusive for everyone. So listen to the comments from Navneet, you know, and competing and you yourself having competed at RDR, what did you feel about those judging comments? Do you think there's, it almost seems to put a cap on what women can do in the circuit. I mean, I definitely don't think there's any cap on what women can do, because I think if you say that, you're kind of saying there's a cap on like what anyone can do in the circuit. Right. And that's, that's just not how this works. I think you've seen so many examples of all different kinds of people 
not just South Asian people, not just men, just all, all sorts of people on the circuit that have gone on to become big contributors to this, uh, to our, you know, the dance form. So not only do I think it's ridiculous to say that there's some sort of cap on what women can do, I also think that hand in hand with that, people may not realize that the sentiment is still alive and well with some people. Um, I would imagine that the same way that Navneet felt reading that is how a lot of people probably felt hearing that this moment of, oh, I didn't know people still felt that way. Um, And I mean, even coming into RDR, like Bruin had a really wonderful intro for uh, their mix where they had a bunch of clips playing of um, things that their women had been told. So my name is Manisha. Um, In England, I danced for um, University College London back home. Uh, Here, I danced with Bruin and then um, co-captained Bruin at RDR. So for Bruin and RDR, um, our intro segment, we basically had the idea of voiceovers, of things that we've heard to discourage us from dancing. And so I don't think many people realized from listening that this, these were actually things that we have heard and real experiences that we've had. In my college, all the girls did a very nice skin look. Dancing's not going to get you a degree. Focus on your study. Go you can. Why don't you do any of them? Girls should stick to Hollywood. You're not strong enough. And so I'll speak to the one that, that I heard, which is which is like, what are people going to say, right? Um, because in in some places, being on a on a dance team has this taboo of not being traditional, um, not being sanskari or whatever. Um, so that was one of the things that I heard, and, and you can hear the rest. So, you know, taking a listen to that, you really start to understand what RDR meant to people who had a chance to come together and make a set for themselves and kind of fly in the face of all of that. On the flip side, um, NEBC, who had a wonderful performance and placed at RDR, which was a big deal, um, they had kind of unpleasant moment after they finished performing. Hey, it's Mahima. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm captain of NEBC. So right after the performance, a bunch of other people from other teams started approaching Fodge guys and were like, yo, you you guys choreoed that section, right? That was all you, right? And then it's kind of like, no. They they were really good about just, like, redirecting the attention to NEBC and being like, look, it was all those girls who put together this show. But I think what improved our creativity and set design the most was not necessarily coming from Fodge, but more working with Pablo Mix. There was a lot more communication, more back and forth between the captains and the mixer, and I think that definitely is what helped mold are set into what it became. Since we had such a diverse range of dancers, we were able to, we were so like grateful to be able to pick up girls who were in Boston for the summer. Um, but that's where the difficulty rose <laughs> in sort of standardizing um, form across all of us girls that, yeah, some girls got called out for dancing a little different than others. So definitely going back to like, whether or not there was Fodge influence, like Fodge definitely helped dancers personally but I think what shown what showed through on stage was that sort of like individual difference like there wasn't an active implementation of fudge standards going on in our practices we're in an age now where like a lot of people team hop and 
if you have styles and dance bleeding over, it's what it's really speaking to is how a team may not have put enough time into cleaning their dancers. Right. But I would never think that, you know, if Fertile borrowed dancers from another team and didn't clean them properly, no one would say to Fertile, oh, you guys took choreo and or didn't make your own set. Actually, it was those other guys' team. So that just felt like this very strange double standard where it was like the girls couldn't have come up with it themselves. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really rude shock that we did this thing, we did really well, and people are still hesitant to give credit to us where it's due. So we, we talked to RDR folks, and you know we listened to a couple folks here. What, what's, what was the plan again for the next episode? We're, we are doing a next episode, right? Because you, you definitely have like six hours, 70 hours. I, don't, I keep losing track of how many hours of audio you've recorded. I have a lot of audio recorded. The rest of this episode actually was supposed to be some more conversations with other women and non-binary folks who were involved with RDR. Mm-hmm. That direction has gone very differently now. Yeah. I think you start the same experience that we had where we started to talk about RDR and then we just started to have larger, more important, more vulnerable conversations about these topics and then just our larger place in the circuit. That's basically what happened in all these other interviews as well. So we're going to come back to this topic on the next episode and we're going to go through this, go through it at a slightly different lens. So we'll, uh, you'll have to see how that turns out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was a, I know we, I know that's like the path we originally went down, but you know, every time I think we've talked, it's just things have mushroomed bigger and bigger and bigger. So till next time. Till next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Bungarda Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, as that really helps others find the podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of them at the Bungarda Pod. If you want to know what else is going on in the podcast world, sign up for our newsletter and join our Discord server to get exclusive content you won't get anywhere else. There will be links to all of those in the show notes.